After a year of the COVID-19 pandemic, many Canadians are feeling the fatigue. But even as vaccines are rolling out, a third wave is setting in. Variant strains have cropped up and appear to be affecting younger people, and it has now become a race between the variants and the vaccines. I'm Dave Breckenridge, and this is 10-3. National Post health reporter Sharon Kirkey joins me to discuss why the variants have changed the face of the pandemic, why it's crucial to get more vaccines to more Canadians, and what's driving vaccine hesitancy in this country. Don't forget you can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your favorite shows. I'd love it if you could leave us a rating, a review, and tell your friends about us. So Sharon, I recall a time, even a mere four months ago, when people were talking about how now that vaccines were approved and rolling out of labs that we were nearing the end. But as we've hit spring, it doesn't feel that way in Canada. Why have we stalled? I know it, it feels that way, doesn't it? I was speaking not too long ago with Andrew Morris. He's an infectious diseases doctor. And we talked about how, you know, we remembered how back in December when the vaccines were being approved and they just started rolling them out. And everyone was saying, you know, the pandemic is over. We're, we're going to be done with this. You know, it's going to be a really great 2021, except we're now like a quarter of the way through 2021 and it, it doesn't feel like we've won yet. Our vaccine rollout, you know, it was initially slow. It's starting to ramp up. You know, deliveries are ramping up. We will have had, I think, 10 million doses delivered to the provinces this week. We've had around 6 million doses given. So I think the number I saw was about 2% of the population has had both doses and around 10% have had the first shot. Mm -hmm. But then now we've got the variants, right? We've got the variants fueling this third wave that the provinces west of the Maritimes are facing. Here in Ontario, we're seeing roughly 3,000 cases daily. We've been seeing that number for the last several days. And there's concern that the ICUs are starting to fill up again, you know, that there's not a lot of wiggle room left in the ICUs. And, you know, Andrew Morris and other doctors across Canada are quite concerned about what they're seeing. You know, everybody wants to believe that it's going to be better by summer, but that depends on how well we've been able to vaccinate, you know, vaccinate the most vulnerable. And if we're good at that, if we succeed in that, we will have a summer like last summer. But, you know, we really need to pick up vaccination. And also the concern is that it's not just vaccines we're going to need. We're going to need some strong policy decisions in some areas to really curb the spread of the transmission because we're not going to be able to vaccinate soon enough. You know, there's all this talk about the dreaded third wave and, and we're dealing with these new variant strains, whether it's the P1 or the B117 that you keep hearing about in news stories. There's been a lot of focus on vaccinating older people, older Canadians, and we seem to have been doing a good job of that, even though, you know, on the whole of the population, we're behind other countries. But as we've had many, many seniors vaccinated, does that change how the third wave outbreak looks in Canada? Yeah, it's interesting because we're starting to see sort of this new face of the pandemic. You know, like I mentioned, we're seeing the beginning of a third wave everywhere west of the Atlantic provinces. And again, the thinking is that the variants are fueling the spread um, because they are more contagious. And not only are they more contagious, but they do increase the risk of 
getting sick enough that you're going to be needing hospital care. And if you're hospitalized, increasing the risk that you'll end up in an ICU. So again, we're also seeing, again, it's based on Ontario data because there's not a lot, but doctors in other parts of the country are reporting this as well, that the average age of those coming into hospital or coming into the ICU with COVID is different this time around. No, it's dropping. In Ontario, more than a third coming into the ICU with COVID now are under 60. And some doctors are seeing people like down into their 20s and, and 30s. I wrote last week about how one hospital in Toronto had 17 people with COVID on ECMO. And ECMO is essentially this lung bypass machine. Mm-hmm. And when you have severe pneumonia from COVID, what this machine does is drains the blood out of your body, adds oxygen, takes out carbon dioxide, and then puts it back into your body. And so in this one Toronto hospital, I think the youngest person on ECMO with COVID was 22. And there were four or five others in their 20s or 30s, which was like virtually never seen in wave one or wave two. So again, the concern is that it's the variants that are driving this. And also because we vaccinated more seniors, there are fewer of them getting sick enough to end up in hospital. So that could be changing the the numbers as well, right? If we have fewer seniors, it makes some sense that you're seeing a younger population who are being hospitalized. But even then, that doesn't fully explain it because in wave one and wave two, the frail elderly were really unlikely to be hospitalized. Mm -hmm. It's certainly a worrying picture that it seems to be causing severe disease in, in younger people. So it's the variants and not necessarily the lack of vaccines into a younger population, or I guess a combination of the two variants coming in and a lack of vaccines to younger populations causing the shift to a a new face of the pandemic in the third wave. Yeah, that seems to be exactly this combination of the two coinciding at the same time. That's also the concern of, you know, so we have the variants, we don't have vaccines rolling out quickly enough. But, you know, there are other things at play here as well, right? There's been an easing of restrictions. There's a lot of pandemic fatigue. You know, people have grown just so tired of all of this that we're letting our guard down. So we're exposing ourselves to more risk of contracting COVID. I mean, we saw it over this past weekend in Ontario. There were pictures, you know, most of the provinces is in a, they pulled an emergency break last week and put most of the province in the gray zone, but they still allowed non-essential businesses to remain open at much reduced capacity. But there were pictures from, you know, Easter weekend of people packing malls, you know, long lineups outside IKEA. And it's one of the reasons why we now have medical officers of health in Toronto and Peel and Ottawa asking for, you know, a full shutdown of non-essential businesses. And actually even redefining, you know, what's essential, what businesses should we be allowing open even under the strictest circumstances. On vaccines, we've had a lot to talk about what place Canada is in and how we're not getting vaccines quickly enough. But we also get announcements about how we're getting so many millions more doses than were expected over the coming weeks and months. Like, are we still on a realistic timeline to get everyone a shot by Canada Day? Yeah, it's so tricky, right? The numbers keep changing and, you know, the num- and it's confusing on the doses that are coming and when they're coming and what quarter, Q1, Q2. We're on track to receive, the last time I checked, it was around 36 million doses by Canada Day. So on paper, at least, you know, theoretically, it's possible 
that we can give everybody a first dose of Canada Day because, you know, we can't yet vaccinate children under 16. But we're going to seriously have to up our game, right? We're only now in BC, I think we're now starting to vaccinate people 71 and older, as well as Indigenous adults, 18 and older. Ontario is still mostly 70 and older. The province is expected to release some kind of update with you know, plan to reach communities where there are, for example, a lot of essential workers living, you know, to expand shots there, to do more what's called like ring vaccination, right? You go in and you go into a hot spot or a particular neighborhood and get, you know, mass vaccinations going. Mm-hmm. We also need to get family doctors involved. We need more mass vaccination clinics, but we need to actually get the shots into more people by getting family doctors involved, primary care people. You know, one doctor said that on a good day, Ontario is vaccinating 85,000 people, but we should be like well north of 100,000 per day if we really want to get to that goal of having everybody who wants one to have their first dose by Canada Day. In the discussion of how Canada is doing compared to other countries, we get bogged down a little bit with, you know, we're behind this former Soviet bloc or we're behind this South American country and we should be doing better because we're Canada and yada, yada, yada. Does it help comparing us to some other countries as they could, you know, they could be getting vaccines from countries who we would never have made deals with, like China and Russia? And I know that we initially tried to get a deal with China back last spring, but you know, are people getting vaccines from countries we wouldn't have any dealings with? You know, Russia's vaccine was initially met with a lot of skepticism, right, because of the politics mm-hmm. and concerns about the quality of the original data that came from Russian scientists, and it was based on a really small number of people. But there was a study published just last week, I think, in The Lancet, you know, really prestigious medical journal that found that it actually worked really well, you know, something like 92% efficacy, which is Hmm. in the same sort of ballpark as Pfizer and Moderna. With the Chinese vaccines, the efficacy rates are all over the place, depending on what study you're looking at. Some put it at 50%, others are like 80 to 90%. But, you know, neither of those countries' vaccines are really on Canada's radar or will be. When we compare ourselves, we tend to say, you know, we're seriously lagging in the U.S. and the U.K., But people have said, you know, we don't have their buying power. And there was criticism that we were really, you know, late to the vaccine buying party. You know, we were late to settle the contracts. And and the deals that we did sign really brought comparatively fewer doses in the first quarter of the year. So, you know, like I mentioned, nationally, I think around 10% of the population has here has received about at least one shot. Mm -hmm. But that's compared to like a third of Americans, like a third of Americans have received at least one shot. Now we're getting vaccines into people's arms. And for the most part, they're working as advertised. Pfizer and Moderna are well-regarded. They have a high efficacy rate. There've been concerns about the AstraZeneca vaccine, specifically relating to the risk of blood clots, which has led some who are already skeptical about vaccines to just possibly decide that they won't get it. Is there a noted safety risk? And what is that? The problem with the safety risk is that the number keeps changing. So first it was one in a million risk of this rare clotting disorder. Then it was one in 100,000. And then there was a report from Norway last week suggesting, well, maybe it's one in Mm 25,000. So I don't think yet there's been a proven link. The concern is that 
they've seen reports all in Europe, none in Canada so far, of blood clots, these really severe blood clots in a very tiny number of people who got the Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine within a couple of weeks of getting the shot. The problem is like, like no vaccine is 100% safe, right? And it's sometimes only, you only see a signal of a problem after you use the shots on millions of people, you know, signals of a possible side effect that you don't see in the phase three trials, like that involved you know, tens of thousands of people. It's only when you roll them out to the real world that you start to see these signals of very rare potential side effects. So for now in Canada, you know, the recommendation is now not to use the shots in people under 55, the over 55s don't appear to be at risk. And in most of the cases in Europe, the people who developed the clots were women under the age of 55. But even then, you know, it's not clear why women mm-hmm. and, and why younger women. Is is there some hormonal link? Is it because women at that age might be on uh, birth control pills? But, you know, again, it, it's not clear. And then the other thing, too, is, okay, we're saying it's not safe to use a shot in people under 55. But what if you're 56 or 57, right? How much comfort do you have? So th- there's certainly some concern around the issue around blood clots. How big is the risk? What is the real risk? And how does it compare to the risk of getting a blood clot from COVID itself, right? Mm -hmm. The decision was made that there's still uncertainty around the benefit of the shot in the under 55 based on this very low risk of blood clots. But if you're older, you're very vulnerable to COVID and also your risk of getting a blood clot from COVID is several fold higher than your risk of potentially getting a blood clot from any vaccine. Does the fact that Canada and possibly other countries, I can't can't recall, but I know in Canada at first they said, well, we're not supposed to use AstraZeneca in people over 65. So we get all these doses. We're going to open the gates up to younger Canadians. At least that's how the rollout went in Alberta. But then all of a sudden they're flipping the script and they're saying, well, whoa, just a second. Now we have to switch it back so younger Canadians can't get it, but older Canadians can. Does that kind of hurt the discussion around hesitancy with the vaccine? We are seeing some hesitancy. And you're right, sort of, it seems to be this flip-flopping, right? This mass confusion, what's safe, what's not safe. And it seems to be changing every day. Again, it's people responding to the science, right? The science is moving and changing. So you need to be pivoting where you see the need to pivot. The thing around hesitancy, you know, our hesitancy seems to be softening, if anything. If you if you look at the polls, they're showing that the proportion of people who say, yeah, I'll take a shot, a COVID vaccine, as soon as I can get one. Okay, the, that proportion is actually increasing it was 66% of Canadians in the first week of March said, yes, I will take a shot as soon as I'm offered one. That was up from like 39% in September. The overall number who say, no, I will not take a shot, that remains pretty stable. It hasn't changed. It's around 12%. So that still leaves about 18 to 20% of people who say, you know what, I'm kind of unsure right now. Mm-hmm. And certainly the issue with the AstraZeneca blood clot headlines and scares isn't going to help, right? I guess the concern around the unsure number is what proportion of the population will need to be vaccinated to achieve herd immunity? And no one has really nailed that down yet, but it seems to be, consensus seems to be, you're going to need 70 to 80%. So we don't want a large proportion of the population to be unsure or hesitant because that will mean a longer path 
out of COVID. Yeah. Are we already seeing groups that are saying thanks, but no thanks? As I mentioned, there is a little bit of hesitancy still. You do see more hesitancy in certain communities among Black uh, communities and other communities. Again, it's changing and shifting. It's not, doesn't seem to be as strong as it initially was. I think part of the hesitancy as well is around just how rapidly the vaccines were developed and approved, like light years faster Mm -hmm. than normal. So we have Canadians who are potentially concerned about the safety of some of these vaccines. You know, there's been stories about blood clots. People have raised concern about the speed with which they've been produced. So we get vaccine hesitancy. How does that differ from the idea of the anti-vax movement? Or in the end, does it matter what you call it, that not wanting to get a vaccine, as you said, like potentially drags out this pandemic? Hesitancy is different from being anti-vaccine, right? Being hesitant or undecided when you're faced with like a possible safety signal or safety risk, like we're seeing potentially with AstraZeneca, that's not being anti-vaccine or or anti-science. People who are anti-vaccine, very little is going to sway them. Mm-hmm. You know, but the vaccine hesitant, for them, I think it comes down to how much trust they have in the people in charge of public health and safety, right? So that's why it's so important to be absolutely transparent with people when you see an issue like we've seen with the AstraZeneca shot, right? When the safety signals come up, you need to be absolutely straight with people, that helps with the hesitancy. If they think they they can believe you, they can believe the guidance that you're giving. A lot of experts think that as more people get their shots, right, as more people post their selfies of themselves at the vax clinics, that that, that will chip away at the hesitancy, right? Maya Goldenberg, who's a philosopher of science at the U of Guelph, she said it quite nicely in an interview with The Atlantic. She said the thing that works best for getting vaccinated is that it gets normalized, right? Mm -hmm. That when vaccination becomes the norm, most people will probably do it unless they have a really strong inclination not to. At the end of the day, though, the vaccines that we have in distribution in Canada have been proven safe. Even AstraZeneca, which has a risk of clots in certain age groups, the risk is generally perceived as rare. And so by and large, Canadians don't have much to worry about when it comes to the vaccine supply. No, I mean, that's a good point. All of the four vaccines that have been approved in Canada have very good safety profiles. And even with the AstraZeneca worry, it's still such a a low risk by comparison to your risk of getting infected with COVID, especially with one of these variants. The other positive thing is that so far the vaccines appear effective against the variants, the UK strain and the strain from Brazil. So there's every reason to get vaccinated. And most experts do agree that the only way we're going to get out of this is if we vaccinate ourselves out of it. Excellent. Well, Sharon, as always, I appreciate your reporting and thanks for your time. My pleasure, Dave. 10.3 is produced by Sean Knox. Theme music by Bryce Hall. Thanks to my guest, Sharon Kirkey. More from her at nationalpost.com. I'm Dave Breckenridge. Thanks for listening. <laughs>